Hey everybody, it is episode 45 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is Chris coming at you from Rogue in Austin, Texas. I've got Steve with me as always. Hey Steve. Hello podcast world. With today's episode, we're going to talk about something we teased in our 1% episode a couple shows ago, which is we're going to talk about nutrition and we're going to talk about sleep. We've got a very special guest, Megan Lyons from the Lions Share Wellness out of Dallas. She is a as her job, she is a health coach and helps people with nutrition all day, every day. She's also a, an old colleague and friend of mine and super, super smart on this topic. So we're going to bring her in for an interview to talk about both general and performance nutrition and then also talk about how you can improve sleep quality. Before we get there, as we always do, we're, we've got some current events to talk about and at least one very current event for me, which is... I had a race this weekend, so we're going to update everybody on my progress heading towards my big breaking 60. This isn't breaking two. This is breaking 60. <laughs> breaking it out. <laughs> 60 goal that we've talked about very openly on this show of, of breaking 60 at a 10-mile race run for the water here in Austin. Coming up in just about a month, I did a little tune-up race this weekend uh, called the 80s 8K here in Austin. It's you know, not too big, not too small, about 700 person race here in Austin that kicks off the distance challenge, which is a series of five races leading up to the Austin Marathon in February. This for me was a tune-up race to see where I am relative to heading towards this breaking 60 goal at the 10 mile race coming up in November. And lo and behold, Steve, I won the damn thing. Got dub <laughs> the win. That got the W overall, folks. It's not age overall, group. Yeah. I asked Stephen. I told Stephen, who co-coaches with me on the the team rogue, he's like, "What? He won overall? I thought you were just talking about age group. No, he won the whole fucking shooting match, man. Won he won thing. the whole thing. I mean, it's crazy to me. I've never actually won a race. I've finished second many times, and 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 somehow, some way. I put this one together. Now, you know, in deference to the Austin fasties out there who decided to sleep in <laughs> on Sunday morning, you know, the, the ringers, I call them sometimes. I appreciate them, you know, giving us a little break this time and, give it, and giving uh, somebody like me a chance to go for the win. As I was looking around on the starting line, I knew that I'd be in the mix because I didn't see any of those traditional guys that will kick my ass on any day. And so I... I, I thought I would be in the mix for, you know, potentially a top three or four performance. Did Normally you actually I'm, think on the line that there was a chance you could win it? Did um, you think, did that act, did that actually enter your mind at all? Yeah. I mean, fleetingly, it was like, huh. You know, you're kind of like expecting Mark Pinellas to roll up like late or something. Show like up, from, come he, up behind you. Yeah, like sometimes he does. So it was just like, huh, if it's, if it's the people I see, which was Ram Leon, Jay, yep. who we had on the show... And then Tim Bayless, who I know, who trains with Team Rogue. And then this guy, Ryan Hansen, who I raced last year in this race and who did the distance challenge half track. So I, there were four races that we went head-to-head -head together last year. He beat me in three of the four. Younger guy, 29 years old. So I knew he had skills. And he beat me by about a minute in this race last year because I came in not so fit. And so... Those are the guys I saw, and I thought, huh, if it's those guys, you never know. So it kind of fleetingly entered my mind. And i got to say, going into this race, I was struggling with the mental preparation for this one. 
you know, we'd had a really tough workout on Tuesday where I kind of got my ass kicked. It was hot and humid and it just didn't go as planned. And I started to question our strategy a little bit. I'm like, man, I don't know if I can get ready for this. I've you know, done a bunch of miles, but hadn't done a ton of sharpening work yet. yet. So didn't really have that kind of killer workout in the books yet that kind of told me, all right, things are coming around. So I was kind of working off of faith. And so as I went into this, and it's also been a lot of time, a while since I've really raced at kind of peak condition. So I was, gosh, all over the place in prepar- preparing for this thinking, I don't know what, I, I don't even know what I can do. And I don't know what is going to happen. You know, like this is, I don't even know if I have that mental like willpower like I normally have in races. So I was really struggling. So what I did to try to calm the nerves was I went backwards, ran the course backwards and basically ran backwards a mile on the course and then did, you know, and then ran it forwards again just to try to familiarize myself with the race. This is the third time I've done this one. So I've done it before, same course. So I'm familiar with it at some level, but I wanted to get comfortable and kind of get back into that position of, okay, I've been here before. There's nothing new. And so I just ran backwards on the course to re-familiarize myself and then came back and ran forward on the course, taking it all in, trying to think about how I might finish. And Jay, who I run together with fairly regularly, he was talking trash all week. He's like, Chris, I'm going to beat you. You know, if it comes down... There's a little hill at the end. He's like, if it comes down to the last hill, you know I'm stronger on the hills. I'm going to kick your ass. So I had that in my mind, and I'm like, I got to at least beat him. Chris, just for reference, he was talking so much shit that even on Saturday morning I saw him here, and he was talking shit about you on Saturday morning even before. (laughs) I didn't even know that. Yeah, well, I didn't want to share that with you. I figured I would just— He was texting me, too. We ran together on Wednesday. He's like, I'm going to beat you. He's like, if you let it come down to the last hill, I'm going to beat you. Like, okay, well, so, so just to paint the picture, that last, there's the last half mile or so, you go up this rise to, you know, it's maybe 400, 500 meters, a gradual climb, and then you take a right turn, and then it's flat with one final turn. You, it's kind of flat, slightly downhill, maybe t- the last 200 to the finish. And so you really gotta be prepared for that last little climb knowing that it's going to be tough at that point in the race and so i was thinking if he's anywhere near me i've got to be really strong on that hill knowing he's strong on the hills he's also as as tim called him he's a junkyard dog when it kind of comes oh, to racing so he's no very very that. competitive so you yes. just know if it came that's a down, great term for um, <laughs> yeah, junkyard yeah. dog i like that one yeah so if it came down to that last hill i knew i had to be really really ready and so i'd been stealing myself to battle with him at the end and beat him Little did I know that that would help me. So what I did in that final jog up that hill as I was doing my warm-up was I counted the light poles, and there were five of them. And so I thought if I just focus on getting from one light pole to the next and pressing up that hill from one light pole to the next, I can do this. I can count to five, get to the top, and once we're at the top, you know, I think I can close it out because you can basically see the finish at that point. So I counted the light poles. Then showed up on the starting line. Those guys out a l- got out a little faster. But my plan, by the way, was to not worry about pace. I just wanted to get out sort of hard, but relaxed, smooth. You know, I wanted to be smooth early. There's some downhills in the middle. I wanted to press those 
and then I wanted to finish with whatever I had left. So that was kind of my three-part plan. It's like get out hard but relaxed, press the middle downhills, and then finish with what I had left. So I got out hard but relaxed. I was sixth at the mile one point. And I had a younger guy in front of me who I think was like 15 maybe, kind of freshman in high school maybe. An older guy who was clearly a master's that I recognized from last year who may have beaten me last year. And then Tim, Aram, and Ryan up front together in kind of a little pack of three. And I was about maybe 15 meters back of them. But I was just trying to focus on smooth and relaxed, smooth and relaxed. About mile one and a half or so, you start to hit some rollers to the two and a half mile point. And so they, the lead pack started coming back as I was rolling up those hills. And I caught them about that point, about maybe just before two and a half, about the midpoint. And, and, and I knew, because right after that, you kind of have about a mile of steady downhill and I knew that's where I, I, I can kind of make up some time. And so I, I went straight past them at the halfway point and started pressing on the downhills. Ryan, the guy I mentioned came with me and Jay and, and, and Tim didn't, you know, I, I knew they weren't falling off, but I just knew they didn't kind of respond. And Jay would tell me later, he thought I would blow up at that pace. So, so he kind of let me go, so to speak. And, and Ryan was with me. He kind of took the lead after I had made that initial move. And, and he was pulling away at that point, kind of a little bit stronger on the downhills than I was. But then I would catch him on any little rise. And there's a big climb at about just before the four mile four point. So I knew if I could get to him at that point, then I would have a chance in the last mile to do something. So I stayed patient was maybe 15 meters back at about three and a half. And then we hit that hill. I caught him at on the hill going up, hit mile four. And then you have rollers to the finish and then that finish as I described it. So my, my plan at that point was I just have to stay with him until that last half mile. If I can stay with him till the bottom of the last hill, I can do something. So I just focused on staying relaxed to that point. And then we were literally shoulder to shoulder going into the last half mile and I thought all right here we go it's time to count light poles <laughs> so that's what I did and I just pressed a little bit more at each light pole and you already knew he'd sort of buckled on a few of those hills and so I already, you'd already knew he was struggling on the hills he was so okay was like, on the down but the so I was getting yeah. him there so that was kind of a confidence booster that if I could get him at the top then he wouldn't be able to respond and so that's what I did and I felt him falling away a little bit but I didn't know how much and I got to the top and then we hit the flats and I just gave everything I had to the finish and never looked back and, and ended up beating him by about five seconds. So I put a pretty good gap on him. Nice. Um, out kicked a young yeah. buck. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, Chris out kicked somebody. 20, 20, this is amazing. Right. He's 29 years old, I think. So dear listeners, yes, anything can happen, but you know, but full credit goes to the strength. I mean, if it wasn't like, I felt those 80 mile weeks in my legs, if it wasn't for that, that was the source of my speed at the end because I was strong on that hill and I was strong finishing because I had that aerobic fitness. But you also did two other things that are crucial here, Chris. Number one, you went out and checked your course and, and created a mental cue for yourself to allow you a chance to have success if it was there. Um, turned out it wasn't the competitor you thought it was going to be. You figured Ryan would be gone and that you might not be there. But, but, but it, still, you did that, right? You went out and said, I'm having a little bit of a 
of a struggle here, getting motivated and getting pumped up. Let's pick something. Let's do something. So that's the first and most important thing you did. And then secondarily, you never counted yourself out. You didn't, even though you were in a, I mean, you were in a funk. I know going into this, <laughs> you were in as much of a funk as Chris gets into. You were a little bit grumpy all week. There was other <laughs> stuff going on, but you were a little bit grumpy. You were very upset with the shit sandwiches you ate on that Tuesday workout beforehand. I could tell you were more upset by it than you wanted to share because you actually said something to me the effect of I don't think it was maybe we're not doing this right but it was something along the lines of uh, I've got some work to do or I've got something to be thinking I've got some things to be thinking about with me always that's like hmm, we've got some questions <laughs> about the plan right. not that you and I have some grand hyper focused plan more along the lines that we're we're reaching we're trying to reach this goal and it's working on something that will help you later on in your marathoning but the point being you didn't count yourself out. You know, you set up a mental cue that helped you. Number two, you didn't count yourself out. And number three, you you took it, you threw down where you thought you had a good spot to do it and you you raced to, by your gut and it turned out that you got away. If if Jay had if Jay had thought that you weren't going to come back, he would not have let you go. So you got that play one time. That's not going to work <laughs> for you the right. next time you race him, but it worked this time and that's all that matters because now there's a doubt in his mind. You know, yeah. now there's a doubt in his mind. Well, and he admits that he let me go and that was a mistake. He thought it would blow up. He thought the Ryan kid would beat me or that he would, ch me chasing Ryan was a mistake and that that would blow me up. He did. We compared notes afterwards and I, I ran. It was never about him though, was it? It's well. interesting <laughs> when people get beat. Right. In, in Jay's case here, it's never that I made a calculated mistake by letting you go away. Instead it was, oh, I thought you were going to come back to me. Oh, I thought you were going to do right. this. Right. So it's always about you instead of him. Tisk, tisk, tisk. Well, that, and the other thing I, I credit myself, pat, on my, pat myself on the back here is that if I had been focused on beating Jay. Oh yeah. Then it was different, but it would have been different, but I knew for all those guys that if I was going to win at that and those middle downhills, I had to press, follow my plan and press there. And so I didn't kind of settle for the reference point I had started with, you know, which I give myself credit for. And, and Ryan's beaten me before. So I knew that he would be tough, but as you said, I never counted myself out. I kind of gave myself a chance. And with that half mile to go, all the instincts kicked in and, Sweet. And, uh, and got tell, the us, win. tell us a little bit about how that's rejuvenated you for your as you're looking about your workouts yeah, so over the it, next couple it of gives, weeks. It's a huge confidence booster now. It was a PR, right? PR for the AK. And you've run that course a few times. From that course. I've never done a lot of 8Ks, but mm -hmm. from that course, which is a fairly challenging rolling course, I've run 29.07 there. So it was eight second PR. 28.59 was my final time. That same year, I ran 29.07. I ran 60.02 at Run for the Water. So that tells me I'm right there, if not you know, better than 60 shape now, but we've got four weeks to go. So I'm definitely not resting on my laurels and we've got a bunch of sharpening work over the next four weeks, which is really has been our plan. And so now, you know, I feel super confident. Um, obviously I'm not going to slack off. I've still got lots to do, but, <laughs> but, and, I'm, and, you know, honestly, the course this year with run for the water is tougher than it was three years ago. They changed it last year. It's harder than ever. And so I think it's going to take even more than what I had, a couple of years ago to get to get under 60 in this race so yeah the opposite direction is a much more difficult we did that prep run the other day and yeah whew, it's it's harder it's tough so mm -hmm. there's more to do but i feel i feel ready i feel like we're on track this was a good confidence booster for me now we got to just put the finishing touches on it 
Yeah, we can do that. We can <laughs> so, do that. You, you've the the hardest part's been done now, and and I know from my experience of coaching you, once you're in a positive mindset, you start to do your you start to do your thing, <laughs> you start to tick your boxes and make your plans, and uh, it's just being sure that we give you workouts that that get you f- that that get you to turn over enough that we don't make it that we keep you healthy and we keep you excited, but we're also rolling. So. Yep. Okay, now we're going to the interview with Megan on performance nutrition. Megan, welcome to the Running Rogue podcast. How are you? I am great. Happy to be here. Thanks, Chris. We're excited to have you. As we said in our intro, we'll be talking performance nutrition and also a little general nutrition with Megan. A little bit more background. Megan and I know each other from, gosh, it seems like way back now, something like 2006 or seven that we worked together, Megan both yeah. as strategy consultants in more formal business worlds than we live in now. But you went from strategy consultant to, similar to me, making a career shift into becoming a health coach in Dallas, owner and founder of Lionshare Wellness. Talk about that transition for you. How did you make the leap from strategy consultant to health coach? Sure. Well... Chris and I met when I was kind of bright-eyed and bushy-tailed out of college, and Chris was my manager and was awesome, and I'll talk more about that um, if we talk about getting into running. But that consulting for me was just kind of like what everyone wanted to do, so I thought I wanted to do it too, Uh, and it was great. I'm one of those people that kind of makes the best of whatever situation I'm in, so I liked it. Um, I went through three and a half years of liking it. I went to business school and in business school, everyone was always saying, what's your passion? And I always said back, I don't really have a passion, but this is cool. And, um, and it got me thinking, what really is my passion? Um, how can I make the world a better place? Cause at the end of the day, consulting was fine. Um, it, it challenged me mentally, but I didn't know if I was really making an impact on people the way I wanted to be. So, Uh, For me, part of my passion has always been nutrition. I just didn't really think of that as a a real job. It seemed like a a dream or a hobby, but I was always helping my friends, my family uh, improve their nutrition. And I just got thinking in business school, what if I really did it? What if I gave it a go? So, of course, I, I had the idea. I got scared. I went back to consulting for a few years, but then eventually I left January 6th of 2014 and I started the lion's share that same day I thought why not give it a shot I had a six-month business plan and all kinds of little check marks with my husband and see if it's really making it then I can continue and both of us kind of half thought oh this will be a fun six-month project and then I'll be back to finding a job but it's stuck and it's been awesome every day since I love it What does it mean to be a health coach? It means a lot of different things to different (laughs) people, which is kind of unfortunate. It's why um, I don't really have the best term for myself. Uh, But the way I interpret it, what I do with my clients is help them reach their ultimate health and happiness, which sounds like a trite line and... uh, you know, (laughs) be that what it may. But what I do is help them set their goals. So often people say, I want to get healthier or I want to lose weight or I want to 
whatever and they don't really know what their goals are they don't know why they want to do that they don't know what get healthier means and then i break it down into small goals and i help them stay accountable uh, to their goals every single week so each week when they leave my office uh, or when they leave the skype conversation it should feel very underwhelming it should feel like oh yeah i can do these three things no problem but then you know life gets in the way it's a little challenging and and those small things that we do each week add up to big results now the other part of what i do which is probably my favorite part is um a little bit of emotional work so some people call it like therapy light um food is just really emotional for a lot of people i order so much food and samples and stuff like that in my office but the most commonly ordered item from amazon is kleenex because people are crying in my office every day and uh, that's the part that I really love. It's it's helping them uh, gain self-confidence and gain um, just belief in, in themselves and, and feel really like they're best from the inside and the outside. So you're kind of a life coach, really. Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> a life coach, but then people don't like that term. I'm a health coach, but then... You know, um, that you can be a health coach in an hour. I'm a nutritionist, but then that term is unregulated. <laughs> I'm a therapist, but I'm really not a therapist. So, you know, Megan, I'm a little we, bit of everything. We feel your pain as coaches. We know yeah, uh, what you do in coaching yeah. is a little bit of everything, but m- mostly it's... Uh, uh, I like to say one of my hardest jobs, I'm dealing with mommy and daddy issues. From, and, and I'm... Yes. And, <laughs> Absolutely. I deal with lots of mommy and daddy issues, and, and that's cool. We all got them. We all got to work them out. That's so true. We we all do. Yes. So, uh, so let's talk about your running. What's your relationship with running? How has that evolved? How did you begin? I know I know you've kind of come and go with it through the years. I remember yeah. doing, I remember doing hill repeats over bridges and near Delray Beach, Florida, with you back in the day. But where are you at with yeah. it? Well, I was hoping you were going to ask because I'm going to give you credit, Chris, so just wait for it. Um, The way I really started running, I was just like any other kid, non-running kid in middle school, high school. I thought of running as punishment. I danced all through uh, my childhood. And then I gained about 15 to 20 pounds before college. So I didn't do the freshman 15. I did like the pre-freshman 15, I guess. And I didn't feel great about myself going into college. Uh, but I started dating this guy. I met him on move-in day. He's now my husband. He was on the uh, track and cross-country team at school, and he was running all the time. So I was like, oh, if I want to be cool, maybe I should just start running all the time. And I very distinctly remember my first run when I could not make it a quarter mile running, and I came back in and, and told him, and I was like, I ran. I ran for two minutes or whatever it was, and, you know, poor him he he had to be supportive and say oh that's great and he had just gone for 15 miles or whatever um but but I slowly but surely developed my love for running through college just kind of following him and my love for nutrition went hand in hand definitely had its ups and downs like I thought nutrition at the beginning was shape magazine eat half an energy bar and see how much you can possibly starve yourself and Uh, I've been all over the place with my journey, but I think sometimes it takes that to really understand true nutrition. So anyway, I started loving running, but Chris, I'm going to give you credit for making me stick with it because Chris was my manager at my first real job. 
And if I had had a different manager who didn't prioritize health and fitness while working a ridiculous like 70, 80 hour week, I think I would have just thought it was normal to not do that. But I saw Chris getting out there every day and prioritizing his running. So I was like, oh, this is what all the cool kids do. And I learned just from that very first project to prioritize it myself. And I'm really grateful to you for that, for setting a really good example for me that's stuck. And now I can help other people do that. Well, I'll, I'll accept the credit, but yeah. that's cool. I remember doing those Hillary Beats in, yes, in Delray too. Beach and you, and you were so much stronger than you ever gave yourself credit for. So it's good to Thanks. see that that was the beginning of something bigger. Oh, Let's dive yeah. in here. We're going to start by talking general nutrition first, and we'll kind of get to performance nutrition. We're also going to talk a little bit about sleep, hopefully at the end, because that's an important part of this whole equation. But Let's talk general nutrition first. I know there's a lot of stuff out there about nutrition and diets and so forth, but as you summarize it, Megan, in your approach to daily nutrition, what are the key principles that people should keep in mind? Yeah, you know, the diet industry is $60 billion industry. It's crazy. Everyone's looking for something sexy and magical and you know, something that no one's ever said before, something that will be the magic bullet. So my answer is kind of underwhelming. Uh, but if you're underwhelmed by this answer, I ask you, have you tried this? And have how many other things have you tried? And it hasn't worked. So my answer is a quote from Michael Pollan, who a lot of people uh, in the nutrition world have heard of. The quote is, eat real food, or not, not even that, eat food, not too much, mostly plants eat food, not too much, mostly plants. And so to me, that just means eat real food. Stop looking for these like magical miracle bars and diets and things like that. Just eat food, not too much, and mostly plants. And for me, that comes into four or that breaks down into four um, basic principles. Number one is eat more vegetables. I know Chris has heard me say this 80 billion times by now. Um, I really think we all can benefit by eating more and more and more vegetables. If you hold up a fist, that's about a serving size. Um, It varies based on your body size, which is good. Half cup, two thirds cup, something like that. I personally get about 10 servings, 10 fist size servings of vegetables per day. And, And I try to get my clients up there. I really think the minimum is like four to five. For, um, for the average person, but the average American is getting one per day, and that's probably like tomato sauce on pizza or something like that. So vegetables, number one. Number two is water, more, more, more water. We are chronically dehydrated. 75% of Americans are chronically dehydrated. Number three is reducing sugar. Everything has sugar nowadays. Sugar is added to anything and everything. I think 71, if I'm not uh, mistaken, it's either 71 or 72% of packaged food items in grocery stores contain added sugar. So it's basically in everything. Uh, And then number four is macronutrient balance. So a balance between protein, fat, and carbohydrates. And um, any of those we can talk about more if we want. But I think on the surface, a lot of your listeners will know what protein, fat, and carb and carbohydrates are, they may just not have thought about balancing them. Well, let's talk about vegetables for a second, because 
<coughs> you and I had a chat back in, gosh, I think it was March of this year, where I expressed some personal frustration over dealing with hunger management issues. Yeah. And, you know, as somebody who runs 70 to 80 miles a week, I would like to think that I could eat whatever the heck I want and not have to worry about my weight but unfortunately that's not true especially if I, as I'm trying to get to a certain perhaps performance weight and so for me I've been in these moments when I might be counting calories and watching what I eat and trying to get to a certain race weight but still hungry all the time and so I had a conversation with Megan I was like what is the solution to this is it just something I have to live with or not so she looked at my food log and said hey Chris you're doing pretty good overall, but you need to add some healthy fats in the morning. Eggs would be a good example of that. And you need more vegetables throughout the day because your body is craving not necessarily more calories, but craving nutrients. And the vegetables are what give you that. I've made some tweaks according to that advice, and I could say it definitely has helped me manage my hunger. So let's talk about vegetables. You said that's a big piece of what you do, but why is it so important? Yeah, one one main reason is exactly what you said. When we are eating a lot of processed food or non-nutritive food, meaning not uh, vegetables and fruits, basically, our body, our brain doesn't get the message that we have what we need. So leptin is a hormone. Uh, leptin and ghrelin are two hunger and, and satiety hormones. Ghrelin tells your brain, oh, I'm hungry. I need more food. And leptin it's like a seesaw. When ghrelin goes down, leptin goes up. Leptin tells your brain, I'm good. I got what I want. And one surefire way to increase leptin so that you turn off those hunger signals is to give your body those nutrients, micronutrients or phytonutrients, which are from vegetables and fruits. Um, and, and I always say vegetables and fruits, not fruits and vegetables, because I believe that most of our intake should be vegetables and then fruit can be um, you know, a, a, a side, a side component of that. So that's one major reason to reduce, um, hunger cues. And the other thing with that is fiber. Fiber physically fills you up, which is good. Keeps you regular, keeps your digestion going well. Uh, and then we've all, we've all heard the term antioxidant, but many of us don't know what it means. You see like fancy $12 berries that say antioxidant or something, and you think that must be healthy. Uh, but all vegetables have antioxidants in them, and that means anti-inflammatory. Uh, it reduces inflammation. So as runners, we need that for recovery. We need to reduce inflammation because any kind of... Uh, muscle overexertion, tears, things like that, cause inflammation in our body. So we need them uh, to, to speed up recovery and then to prevent and manage any kind of anti or any kind of inflammation condition. So things like IBS, uh, arthritis, diabetes, any autoimmune condition, even cancer are all related to inflammation. So for our long-term health, we need those vegetables as well. So, oh, and then one I forgot, energy. Oh, my favorite one. I firmly believe that I don't have energy just because that's who I am. I have energy because of my diet and my lifestyle. Uh, and I eat lots and lots of vegetables. When I need an afternoon pick-me-up, I turn to vegetables. And I promise you, even though it sounds like crazy talk right now, 
uh, if you try it, you will get more energy from your vegetables. So Megan, on a, from a practical standpoint, give us an idea. I mean, give us an idea how someone might be able to get more vegetables in their diet because vegetables, typically the way most Americans look at them, they, you've steam them or you have to cook them. What, what are some tools or some things that people can do if they don't have, you know, if they haven't cooked their dinner or they haven't, they're not bringing leftovers or they're not cooking on top on the, on the front end of their, for their meal planning, how can people work on getting more vegetables in their diet when it's obvious that they're very hard to find outside of running into Whole Foods? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm going to answer your question, but before I do, I'll say that I believe everyone could benefit from just a little bit of meal planning. I don't think you have to go totally crazy and, you know, cook all your food on Sundays like I do, but I do think some strategy and some thought behind it is really critical. And one of those things, if you're just going to jump in, put your toe into meal planning a little bit, um, is a veggie pack. I, I reference the veggie pack, but I eat one every day. I make them on sev on Sundays. I make seven of them. And it's just a Ziploc baggie full of raw vegetables. So baby carrots or snap peas, celery, cucumbers, mini peppers, jicama, whatever you like in there. And I just force myself. That sounds like a um, too forceful of a word, but I encourage myself to eat my veggie pack every single afternoon. I bring it wherever I am, to the office, to the airport, to wherever, and I just have that every day. Um, so things like that, even if you don't do a lot of meal planning, I think you would benefit from doing it. Now, to really answer your question, um, almost every restaurant has a vegetable. Yes, they're not on the menu front and center and maybe they don't catch your eye, but almost every restaurant has a vegetable. So if you're going out to breakfast and you're ordering eggs, ask them if they can throw some spinach or some peppers or some uh, zucchini or mushrooms or whatever in your eggs. If you're going to dinner, order that side salad. You must find a vegetable if you go out to dinner. Order a side salad, order a side of grilled asparagus or whatever it is. You can always find a vegetable at a restaurant. Um, and if you're doing things like uh, bringing in your lunch or heating up frozen dinners, something like that, buy a bag of frozen vegetables. Frozen vegetables are... Um, frozen at the peak of their ripeness so the nutrient content is way more intact than a lot of produce that's been sitting on the shelves for two or three weeks and even if it's not the most delicious thing in the world just heat those up eat them add them to your day don't think about "Ugh, this is so boring I have to just eat a big plate of steamed Brussels sprouts for dinner Think about, I'll have whatever I was going to have for dinner, but I'm going to add a vegetable. And if you start there, start by challenging yourself to have one per day, then move on to two per day, then three per day, etc. You'll find that you're able to do it. Um, the very last thing here, Steve, is I do believe in greens powders as supplementation. I don't think that there's any product on the market that's good enough so that you don't have to eat any vegetables. Soylent uh, isn't? Are you sure Soylent <laughs> isn't? <laughs> I, oh, Sorry. Don't even get me started. Do not get me started. I mean, what a miserable existence to not eat any food ever in your life and just have Yeah, that. and it's named after and it's named after some kind of death cult too, I believe. Anyway, yeah. it doesn't make any sense. It's terrible. It does not make any sense. That's right. Uh, but things like Organifi is one of my new favorite products you can get on Amazon or Amazing Grass. 
these are um, good greens powders that I'll take like when I'm traveling I'll just uh, you know mix them in a, a bottle of water or something like that so Megan I know you don't believe in calorie counting and and you said at the at the beginning that one of your part of your philosophy is this idea of not too much food but for an athlete who's in heavy training who's trying to both get enough food to fuel their training and their performance but also not too much so that they're not putting on weight how do you manage total food consumption yeah really good question hard question but good one um so I don't believe in calorie counting over the long term because just like Soylent, it's a miserable existence. I've had so many clients in my office who are literally crying when I have them delete the MyFitnessPal app from their phone. And, and it's become such a part of their life that uh, they can't imagine life without that. And I just want my clients and everyone listening to, to live a more full vibrant life than having to enter every single thing in their calorie counter for the rest of their life. So um, I don't think it's a long-term strategy. That said, if you're really at the elite level uh, with your training, I do think that calorie counting for two days, three days, four days, uh, and then working with some kind of professional to assess what calorie intake and, and really more important, what nutrient intake you're taking in can be helpful as long as you can just isolate it and give it, you know, two, three, four days. It's good as a gut check. Now, for most other people who are not really fine tuning things, if you just want to lose a little weight, feel a little better, have more energy, things like that. Uh, you can kind of do it. Um, you can kind of do it with your hand measuring system that I'll try to describe by podcast. It's a little easier if you can see me. But if you just look at the palm of your hand, not including the fingers, just the palm, not like meaty part, that's a serving size of protein. So whether it's chicken or steak or fish or beans or egg whites or something like that. And by the way, I'm not opposed to the yolks at all. It's just that they're healthy fat, not protein. And I'm really talking about protein right now. Um, so if you are not exercising uh, regularly or your exercise level is very minimal, then you need about one palm size every single meal. And if you are training, um, you know, at least once a day, that like most of your listeners are, or at least once a day, meaning uh, 20, 30 minutes or so per day average, then you probably need two of those. And then you tweak it slightly. So if you're training, you know, if you're in peak marathon training and you're getting 80, 100 miles, you may even need three of the three servings per meal. Uh, and that's something like, you know, a, a very large chicken breast or maybe two small chicken breasts. That's something more like 12 ounces of protein per meal. Um, but most of us listening to the podcast would be around two palm sizes. So that's for protein. Then we go back to the fifth size servings of vegetables. I would suggest having two of those at every single meal. So if you do that, then you're getting up to six per day. So two fifth sizes, one to two palms of protein. And then if you have your thumbs, two thumbs together about that serving of healthy fat. So healthy fats are things like healthy oils, avocado, um, nuts, um, egg yolks, flaxseed, chia seed, coconut, things like that. Olives are great. Um, 
one to two of those two thumb servings per meal as well. So using that, you can kind of um, set the stand, sorry, set the ground rules for what you're eating. Now, as athletes, we do need to add in some extra carbs. I am not someone who believes in superpower carbo loading and every runner has to have pasta every meal and all this kind of stuff. Uh, but it's okay to have some whole grain, some sweet potato, some bread here and there, things like that. Uh, and, and that is proportional to your training. So if you're not training at all at a heavy level, I would say you don't need any of those. The fact that we need grains at all is a myth. Um, but if you are, add you know one serving of those uh, every meal. Or if you're in heavy training, potentially add two servings of those. Here's the basis of all of this. I'm giving you kind of um, principles that you can follow. But what you want to do is feel energized and feel not hungry all day. So if you know right now that you're not feeling energized and, you're, and or you're feeling hungry all day, you know something needs to change. Most of the time, if you're not feeling energized, you're not having enough nutrients, so vegetables, just like we talked about with Chris. If you're feeling hungry all day, you're not having enough healthy fats and enough vegetables. Um, but again, right back to the beginning, calorie counting, if you want to work with someone to fine tune, is not a bad thing. It's just not the end all be all. Tell us a little bit about um, the importance of water or, or hydration and, and maybe specifically about how someone might approach a day or look at it from a global scale and then, and then, and then bring it into the sort of daily scale in terms of what people should be expecting to to, to consume. Yeah, absolutely. Water is so important. Will really help with cravings, help with fatigue, help with digestion, all that. So I have a pretty simple formula. If you take your weight in pounds, so let's say you weigh 200 pounds, you divide that by two, that's 100, and then you add 16 for every hour of exercise you do. Uh, during the day. So let's say I was that 200 pound person, I did an hour of exercise, that gives me 116 ounces of water that I aim to drink during the day. And by water, I really do mean water here. I don't mean coffee, I don't mean soda, I don't mean liquid, I really mean water. Um, and for many people, most people are drinking something like 15 or so ounces per day, so this might seem crazy. Uh, and I suggest easing up to that over time. Uh, just like with your vegetables, add 15 ounces, add 15 more ounces, keep going slowly. Uh, but that's the basic formula that I suggest. 15, people are really drinking 15 total ounces a day. That's mind boggling. Yeah, so that's the average. What about electrolytes? How does that fit into the equation? Because I know a lot of people add water to their, their equation and then they're peeing all day long, disrupting their work. To what extent do you need to add electrolytes to the equation to absorb some of that water intake? Definitely. So um, it, for sure, if you are exercising in the heat, like all of us are in Texas, if you're uh, exercising outside, you certainly need electrolytes. And, and that could mean that you, you heavily salt your food. Electrolytes are... Um, are sodium, potassium, things like this, and, and you can get some of that benefit by just salting your food. 
and I do that regularly. A lot of people think, oh my gosh, you work in nutrition, put that salt shaker down, but I sweat a lot, I sweat every day, and I need my electrolytes to be replenished, and, and my body really craves salt. So whether you wanna just try salting your food, you wanna try adding in a clean electrolyte supplement, so um, I personally like eBoost POW, P-O-W, or um, Ultima Replenisher, but there are plenty of them out there. There are, you know, Noon is great. There are lots of different options out there. I just don't want any um, food colorings or food dyes added into your electrolyte supplement. But I do think that, that many of the people listening would need that. So here's a way to tell if you literally do feel like you're just peeing all day the water's going right through you kind of literally and you're still feeling like that dry mouth or headache or fatigue or thirst all day then you probably need more electrolytes and there's an easy way to do it why why not just try salting your food three meals a day for a day and if the next day you feel really puffy and bloated, then you did not need extra electrolytes. If the next day you feel great, like, oh my gosh, this is finally how I've been wanting to feel, then you did need those extra electrolytes. And you can either do it through salt or through a, an electrolyte substitute or replacement. I like scratch personally, but I know you probably huh? wouldn't approve of the extra sugar in there <laughs> no I, I i don't think i disapprove of scratch does it have food colorings in it no it's all natural so perfect with the <laughs> so i'm doing okay there yeah all right so let's talk let's talk performance related nutrition kind of nutrition as as it relates to your workouts and perhaps racing what do you recommend someone do the night before the morning of a workout or maybe a, a long run a hard or even a hard race should they do anything differently in preparation for that yeah for that kind of exercise yes and no this really depends on the person so right now is kind of an interesting time to follow the elite runners nutrition um habits themselves a lot of elite runners and athletes in general are going more towards the fat adapted side so you'll hear them say i'm a fat adapted athlete and this means they're not really taking goos anymore they're not doing pasta before races they're really more on a, a paleo style high fat diet and they, they say they feel better that way. And then a lot of runners are still carbo-loading with tons of pasta and things like that. And many of the others are somewhere in between trying to figure things out. So I think what you do before a workout or a race really depends on what you've done the past month or two months. I would never suggest that anyone do something dramatically different the night before the race. So if you tend to eat a carbohydrate-heavy diet and then you hear that some famous elite athlete is doing the fat adapted thing, don't eat that the night before your race or you're gonna feel terrible. Um, for most people, I think the, the right balance is somewhere in between where we're jumping off of the blood sugar roller coaster. We're not forcing our body to uh, burn sugar all the time. We're, we're teaching our body to burn fat and there's an important connection between that and bonking that we can get into. Um, but so to not stray too much from your question, what should you do the night before? Um, generally, I recommend that before a workout, 
people focus on carbohydrates and fat. Um, so this might mean if you're waking up and you're eating you know, two hours before the race or so, you focus on carbohydrate and fat. Same thing if your, your last big meal is the night before, mostly carbohydrate and fat. So this is like oatmeal and berries and a hard boiled egg or a smoothie with some fruit and veggies and chia seeds and coconut milk or a Lara bar if you're, you don't have that much time to, to digest, something like that. Um, it, you want to have good sources of carbohydrate that won't spike your blood sugar but that are more whole foods based and you want to have some fat to keep you full and keep you satiated the whole time and you don't want to do something new to you. So do you believe in carbo-loading then? Like, let's just say someone has the, the chance to adapt to it. Yeah. And they, they're practicing it. Is there something there or is it just old mythology? Well, I do believe in carbo-loading, actually. But I don't believe that that has to be a big plate of pasta. So carbo-loading is all relative to your current diet. Um, like I said, your, your body likes to burn sugar. So if everything is available, it'll burn sugar first. But most of us are keeping ourselves on that roller coaster like, oh, I'm hungry, so I have a cookie. I feel tired, I have a coffee with sugar. I am hungry, I'll have pasta for dinner. We're just always fueling our body with carbs. And if you're like that, then you do need to carbo load the night before a race. Um, with some pasta or something like that. But if you're more fat adapted, like you're saying, your body stores 1,500, 2,000 calories of glycogen, um, which, is, which is a form of sugar, basically, that your liver and, and muscles can store. And once you get done with that, you're going to have to shift over to fat burning. And when people don't shift over when people don't train their body to burn fat in their regular day that's when they bonk when they shift over they feel that oh it's not comfortable to start burning fat um, in order to prevent that we want to give your body a little bit more carbohydrates than you're used to but if you are that fat adapted person generally that amount of carbohydrate like before a, a race or a long run I'll just eat a sweet potato, whereas normally I wouldn't eat um, very many servings of grains or starches at all during the day. So that, for me, just having a sweet potato, that is carbo-loading. For someone that eats a bunch of carbs during the day, you may need that extra plate of pasta. So it's taking wherever you are and adding a little bit so your glycogen tanks are, are topped off and you have the power to get through the next day. But for me, if I just had an, a plate of pasta, given that I haven't had a big serving of pasta in probably 10 years, my digestive system would be a wreck the morning of the race. It would not be, carbohydrates hold on to water, they're hydrophilic, so they suck all the water into your stomach. And we know as runners, that sloshy belly feeling, that's just awful. So if you do more carbs than you're used to, you can get that sloshy belly feeling, which is not good. So, Megan, we do um, in our training, Chris and I talked about this in our last podcast about crazy shit I make my athletes do. <laughs> um, we do a, uh, 
at least one, and I have a number of my athletes right now going into their California national cycle doing some what, what you might call fasted workouts, although I'm not talking about the the sort of super fasting that seems to be super trendy right now, right. but um, more along the lines of having a meal the night before the race, but the morning of not taking in any, any fuel other than just hydration so that they can practice sh- that shift into the body burning fats. Um, can you tell me if we're absolutely crazy to do that? And number two, do you have other suggestions? If, if we are, or if there are fine tuning that, what suggestions would you give people who might want to start to playing with that sort of fasted workout or at least going in, trying to, to become better at that shift going from the, the glycogen fuel to the fat fuel? Yes. I, good news. You're not completely crazy. I think your athletes are benefiting from that. I like the fasted workouts. I do not like fasted workouts for something that's really important. So a race or a really intense speed workout or something like that. But if you're just doing, you know, a medium distance run, weekly run, even if you're doing a tempo run here and there and you're doing it fasted, I think that's great. I personally do at least four workouts per week fasted. Uh, and, And just like you said, Steve, you're teaching your body to shift into that fat burning mode which makes the bonking process a lot less painful when you're when you're during the race. And it also helps your body just burn fat and, and maintain its optimal um, level of fat. Um, so I don't think you're crazy. For people who are easing into it, uh, my preferred strategy is to have them start with something like the Amazing Grass or the Organifi that I mentioned before. Um, These are the greens powders that you just mix with water. So you're not actually getting very many, um, very much protein, fat, or carbs, but you are telling your brain, I'm getting fuel because it's getting those nutrients. So that can um, make it a little bit less painful to go into a fasted workout for your first few times. What other people recommend oftentimes is the bulletproof coffee you may have heard of, which is I mean, technically, bulletproof coffee has to be um, grass-fed butter and MCT or XCT oil, I think, is the technical one. But basically, it's like adding fat, adding butter or coconut oil or something like that to your coffee. Um, A lot of people do suggest this to shift into fasted workouts. For me and for my clients, it leads to more digestive issues than I think are comfortable for most people. So I would go the greens powder route instead. So let's talk about during the workout and fueling during the workout. Obviously, a lot of the folks that listen to us are doing half marathons and marathons and might be out there for two and three and four hours for their race. What do you recommend for in-run, say in-long run and in-long race fueling? Yeah, absolutely. Again, this depends on how fat adapted you are. So if I look at my first half marathon, I think in 2007, if I'm remembering correctly, I think I took five goos during the half marathon, um, which is like a lot. That's a goo every two-ish miles um, after the start. And, And I needed that because I was just burning sugar all the time. I didn't let my body shift into fat burning mode. Now, oftentimes I'll run a half marathon with nothing uh, because I am more fat adapted. My, my blood sugar is more stable most of the time. Um, for many people, for most people, 
during training runs, even long runs, thing like things like that, I have them experiment with fueling with real food. So at the best, this would be something like dates and almond butter or a small handful of trail mix, something like that. And I get it that this is logistically a lot harder. So next step would be taking something like a Lara bar, which is just almonds and dates or cashews and dates and, and chunking it up, putting it in a little Ziploc baggie and taking that. And then um, if even that's too you know, crazy because it's kind of a pain to carry that, then I suggest just looking for a more natural product. So if you really are, if you do have stable blood sugar, something like um, can is really popular, which is less, um, it's a, a super starch, they call it, so it's less fast-acting carbohydrates, or even something like a hammer gel, which is uh, more natural products like this um, can, can help fuel you. I would suggest for most people, and again, it, it really, it, it completely depends on the level at which you're training and, and how your nutrition has gone before, but I would suggest for most marathoners um, starting to fuel relatively early, so something like six or eight miles and doing it in very, very small chunks. Best if you can have some fat in there with your carbohydrates, but if not, just do it, like maybe even take half a gel and do it every you know, four or five or so miles. Um, but keep it steady. What we don't want is to have a big blood sugar spike even in the middle of the race because then you come crashing down the other side and all you need is more sugar to keep you going. We want to maintain your blood sugar a little more um, evenly even throughout the race. What fats would someone be able to include in their, in their race regimen? What would you suggest? Yeah, so something like when you the, said adding a little bit of fat. Yeah, something like the Lara bar is um, a good mix of fat and carbohydrates, and and that's what I do. Just chunk it into four and take a little chunk every once in a while. Um, some people do uh, like if you're mixing, you can in a little handheld bottle. Some people add some coconut oil into that. To me, that's like a little gross. I don't. Um, I don't think that sounds appealing. Um, so I would just stick more on the nut side. But um, if coconut oil is your jam, then go for it. I know we carry Huma gels, which have chia. Yeah, that's great. In them. So would Huma that be a good example? Great. Yes, thank you for reminding me. That's a perfect one. And is there a point at which you think people should start adding nutrition to their long runs? I know for a lot of my athletes, I tell them, don't mess with it until you get over two hours Yeah. because before that I really want them training their body to do the kind of work. Do you have a threshold at which you tell people to add it to the mix? I like two hours. I think that's a good one. Uh, again, I hate to be a broken record, but it does depend. So if you're someone who's just easing your way into nutrition, you don't eat a lot of vegetables, you don't eat a lot of healthy fat, you might start needing it at an hour. But if, if you can't, I believe that everyone should strive to be able to run two hours without any fuel, maybe just water, especially if it's a hot day. Um, but without any fuel, I think your two hour strategy is right on. Okay, let's talk recovery nutrition. So post hard workout, what should people be doing right after or within a certain time frame after in order to start the recovery process? 
Yeah, so just like we talked about carb and fat before the workout, after the workout we really want to focus on protein and we want to re replenish your glycogen storage, but now is the time to get your carbohydrates from um, not blood sugar spiky carbohydrates. So these are things like vegetables, my favorite source of carbohydrates, sweet potatoes, again, whole grains, things like that. Um, incidentally, your body is really, really good at, at burning carbs and you're very insulin sensitive after a workout. So if you ever are going to have like a giant ice cream sundae or something like that, doing it after a workout is the right time. But I don't want to encourage that. I don't want people to think you have to have something super sugary after every workout. Um, you do have to have some kind of protein. Uh, and many people will say 30 minutes after the workout. I think if you really want to go for absolute optimal nutrition, then yes, having it 30 minutes after a workout is important. Um, but in practice, I'll, I'll give you a little more leeway than that. So I, I usually say 60 minutes to have some kind of protein after the workout to help your muscles recover and carbohydrates to uh, replenish those glycogen storage. So these are things like, you know, if you're gonna have a meal in two hours, I don't think you have to have a meal 30 minutes after and then another meal two hours, but a shake um, that I like is called Coco Libre. This has good coconut, um, uh, coconut milk and, and protein in there or something like a hard-boiled egg with uh, some fruit or banana and almond butter, uh, maybe some turkey roll-ups and veggies or yogurt and chia seeds, something like this. Um, after a workout for a snack would be good. If you're gonna go ahead and have a meal, my favorite post-workout meal ever is a big egg and veggie scramble. So I just throw lots of veggies in the skillet crack some eggs on top, put some avocado and salsa on there, and it's awesome. Uh, if I'm really like going crazy with it, I'll have it with some, some corn tortilla chips, and that just tastes really good to have some salt and protein and, and vegetables and good healthy fats after a meal or after a workout. Uh, but focus on protein and some, some good sources of carbohydrates as well. Megan, I have one more uh, nutrition question before we switch gears. Sure. Um, I recently, I've had some athletes ask me about this. And I, I mentioned it a little bit earlier about sort of intermittent fasting and, you know, these Silicon Valley CEOs are all over this thing about yeah. not eating. Some of my other favorite podcasts that I listen to, they've, they're, they're on this almost like it's the answer to, like, it's like it's psychedelics or something. Um, yeah. Talk a little bit about the, what, what you think about this idea of intermittent fasting, um, maybe give people a little bit of an understanding of it is, and then give me a short, your short take on it. Sure. Um, so intermittent fasting, if you're doing it the technical way, you have a four or an eight hour, what they call feeding window, which I think is just kind of a crude term, um, but that's what they call it, a feeding window. So usually it's... it's these are techies, most of them yeah. anyway. They have they like these terms. Exactly. <laughs> uh, most people, it's like between 4 p.m. and 8 p.m. or sometimes between noon and 8 p.m. But this is the only time during the day when you're eating. And then every other time through the, the evening, obviously at night, and then in the morning and during the day, you're not eating. Uh, and what people are saying is that it gives them brain clarity, uh, they reduce their cravings, they uh, just feel more energy throughout the day and they're not hungry. And I actually do think that fasting has benefits 
um, it, it gives your digestive system a rest. It can teach you to be really good at that fat burning uh, that we've talked about before, and it can reduce the cravings. So if you are a Silicon Valley like techie and maybe your workout for the day is a 10 minute, super intense, high intensity interval training, uh, where you're going all out and then you're basically sitting at a desk the rest of the day, I think that intermittent fasting is not a bad idea. Now, for most of us listening to this podcast, that's not reality. And going back to Soylent again, that sounds like a miserable life to me. I enjoy eating and I don't want to only stuff my face between 4 p.m. and 8 p.m. and try to get in 10 servings of vegetables and then not eat the rest of the day. Um, plus, I... I just, you know, I wouldn't feel great, I know, with my workouts the way they are. So for those of us doing endurance style workouts or working out more than, you know, 10, 20 minutes a day, I don't think that it's practical. I also really worry about people getting in enough nutrients because if you only eat four hours a day, you're hungry. And so you're going to go for things like steak and who knows what to fill you up. And I have no problem with steak. I don't think that's bad. But if you're not getting all your vegetables in as well, um, that's problematic. So for, for most of us listening, it's kind of a non-starter. You can't refuel your workouts well. You can't feel energized for your workouts if you're eating in such a short period of time. That's my opinion. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. So we're going to shift gears a little bit, talk a little bit about uh, my favorite topic, and we've mentioned this on the podcast before, and I think it's probably one of the most asked questions or, or discussed things with me, with my athletes, now that they've been hearing me pontificate on things like this. But talk to us about the importance of sleep and um, sort of what amount of sleep you might recommend. Maybe that's a good place to start. Yeah, um, sleep is so important. I always say to my clients, it's it's my worst health habit. I do love sleep, but it's one of those things where many of us can get by with less than optimal sleep, and we're really not doing our body any favors. From a recovery standpoint for runners, sleep is absolutely the most important thing you can do to help your muscles repair and get you prepared for the workout uh, the next day. Uh, and just from a general health standpoint, I mean, all kinds of chronic diseases are linked to lack of sleep. More cravings throughout the day, especially for things like sugar and caffeine, are linked to not having enough sleep. So uh, very, 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 very important to get sleep. Um, the average optimal sleep for most people is seven to eight hours. Um, it does depend slightly on the person, but you kind of know. I always say to people, what's that number where you wake up and you feel like you could just get out of bed without pain and you could go be productive and, and happy to start your day as opposed to like, ugh, is the alarm clock really going off? You kind of know. For most people, it's around seven to eight hours. But I would also say that the quality of sleep is more important than just the quantity. So let's talk about the quality then, because I think that's an often under-talked about piece of the equation. You know, people are always talking about how many hours you should get, but they're not talking about quality and what that should look like. How do you improve sleep quality? Oh, it's it's a hard um, equation, but I think there are several steps for most people that can help. Number one, magnesium. I am not a, a supplement junkie per se, although I do like to experiment on myself. 
Uh, but I think that most people can get their nutrition from eating a balanced diet. Magnesium, though, is one that almost everyone will feel better when they're supplementing with magnesium. I think 70% of athletes are deficient in magnesium, and it, it won't really kill you, so they don't do blood tests for it very often, um, but it can really help your quality of sleep. So for someone who, like me, has their little hamster wheel going all night and they feel uh, it's hard to shut the mind down at night. They might even wake up in the middle of the night thinking about things and find it hard to get back to sleep. Magnesium is a, a neurological kind of calming agent that can help that. Um, it's also really great for digestion, really great for cramping if any of the runners experience cramping during runs or, or otherwise. Um, but magnesium is fantastic. Now, I will warn you since I'm recommending it that your body's really good at preventing magnesium overdose. It's almost impossible to overdose on magnesium, but the way it gets rid of it is um, basically you go to the bathroom. So if you take too much, you'll have diarrhea. Um, so don't take the magnesium and be like, oh, this stuff is awesome. I'm going to double dose. I'm going to triple dose. You'll be really sorry the next day um, on your run when you're experiencing the runner's trots. Um, so yeah, magnesium's definitely one for quality. Number two, people hate me when I say this, but it's reducing that technology at night. I am the queen of like work, 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 fall asleep. And that's just not the best of uh, the best quality of sleep. So having a 30 minute buffer without electronics, not having your phone in bed. So many of us just turn over and read our email if we're having trouble sleeping during the night or scroll through Instagram or that's how we fall asleep. One of the best things I ever did for my health was putting my phone in another room while I sleep. That's really um, so important. So reducing those electronics, taking magnesium, and then not having sugar right before bed. Most of us, if we are gonna have dessert, it's like after dinner, that's a normal time for it. But having sugar about an hour before you go to bed um, can really impede the quality of sleep. Oh, and then also having a cool temperature. Most people forget about this one, but I think 67 or so is the optimal temperature for sleep for most people. Wow. So uh, I'm doing well there because my wife always turns it down. <laughs> We're going to sleep. Uh, the other thing I will say about sleep is ambient light is a killer on this. Yeah. And a lot of people's TVs or electronics have little blue lights on them that shine at night. And it and it personally drives me crazy. My <laughs> sleep quality when I'm not covering those yeah. things is is terrible. So I will I will I've been known to put black utility electrician's tape over those ambient lights on electronics or just throw a pillow on it I highly to uh, yep. get better, get a better blackout situation. Yes. Total darkness is what I need to make this all work. And you know what? On that, there are blue light blocking glasses. They're not cute, but you can get them on Amazon for like $15. If you're going to not shut off your electronics before you go to bed, I would recommend using some of those glasses or getting... There's an app for your computer called f.lux, f.lux, that reduces the blue light. That blue light is killer. So you're, you're doing the right thing, Chris. I was just thinking about how I switched bedrooms that I was sleeping in and 
there's a light that goes into my bedroom that I never really noticed. And now I'm in another bedroom where it's really dark and there's trees all around. I've been sleeping so nice. Ah. It's so, it's so it's it, important. It's important. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. All right, Megan, we're going to wrap it up. Any final words of wisdom for the athletes listening? Yes. Always my advice would be start gradually. Don't think, oh, this health thing is so complicated. I'm going to start in January or I'm just destined to be at this weight or feeling this way or whatever. Every single person can do one small thing today. So think of one thing that we talked about. Maybe it's having a veggie pack, eating more vegetables, adding more protein to breakfast, um, having more water, getting better sleep, taking magnesium, whatever it is. Think of one thing that you can do and just challenge yourself to do that over the next week or two uh, and then build on it from there. It does not have to be a dramatic revolution overnight. That's what gets people on the diet wagon and then right back off again. Just take small steps and you'll be amazed at the results over time. Awesome, Megan. Thank you. We really appreciate you joining Thank us. You. That was a lot of info in, in only an hour. I think you doubted we could get through it all. I did doubt it. I did, but you did a great job. And I would say that one of the, some of the most important, you, we covered a lot of the things that I think Chris and I as coaches get asked by our athletes a lot that we know the answers to, but when they hear them from us, they wonder if we're just full of shit. <laughs> and when they hear it from somebody who's got some training, it's good to have a little backup. So thanks for that. Of course. You guys listen to your coaches. They know what they're talking about. Thanks again to Megan for joining us. Thanks to you all for listening. As always, you can check us out on our website at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.